Welcome to Foolproof Theology. My name is Chase Davis, and I am your host. I'm so glad to be back here with you after uh, kind of a few-week break between episodes here. I wanted to provide kind of an update on the podcast and some some changes you're going to see coming, some more, more content. Um, but before that, I, I kind of wanted to share some things I was working through recently uh, in terms of kind of Christian thought, Christian ministry. Uh, just this past week, I was in Birmingham, Alabama. I've never been there before, and it was a great, uh, great experience. Got to go with my friend, Brian Brown, and uh, we went to the Theopolis Ministry Conference, Theopolis Institute Ministry Conference, and it was so fun. It was just a great time to uh, meet other people who are like-minded, um, who share a vision for Christianity, robust Christian history, history liturgy, and cultural engagement, uh, solid biblical teaching. We heard uh, several presenters, um, some of whom I had heard of but never met. Um, Peter Lightheart gave a great uh, talk on how we as pastors are to think of ourselves as kings more than priests, biblically. And I, I just thought that was so uh, profound. And really, kind of coming out of that, I, I connected with one guy, and he shared with me and reminded me of a topic I've wanted to talk about on the podcast for a while, but just haven't been afforded the opportunity. That's the idea of Gnosticism. I was listening this morning to James Jordan, Jim Jordan, talk about the idea of Gnosticism. And this idea I'd kind of heard about before I'd heard of in seminary and different books, and it gets thrown around a lot. Sometimes it's only focused on in the early church as an issue that plagued them and, and some heresies that were involved there. But what we're talking about with Gnosticism is really the heresy or the idea that what really is essential about life is not what we do, uh, but what we think. And it's the realm of ideas that are most essential, most crucial, and that's what really matters in life. That being spiritual isn't so much about uh, our embodied nature, meaning our bodies, but actually our disembodied nature. And and at this conference, there was a great uh, guy. His name was Paul. He helped us kind of embrace a more worshipful posture with with our whole bodies. Uh, He talked about Gnosticism and how really it ruins our ability to understand singing and worship and participating because some of our even our worship songs our theology talks about fleeing this home this earthly realm getting rid of this body as if we're trapped in it and those are very gnostic ideas those aren't really christian ideas and as christians we want to have a full um a full understanding of christian spirituality which necessarily involves body and soul it's not just about the immaterial but the material as well. I actually started reading about Gnosticism most recently on last year, um, just as I saw a lot of things, a lot of ways people were talking where, uh, you know, the material world seemed to be either devalued or undervalued, uh, and it didn't really seem to be engaged that well. And so I started reading Kurt Vogelin. I, I don't know if that's how you say his last name, at the re- recommendation of Craig Carter. And he wrote a book on Gnosticism and liberalism. And in it, Vogelin shows that really liberalism, based on the Enlightenment, has reduced humanity to a set of ideas or ideals. And it's a very Gnostic project. And so in the last, like, 300, 400 years since the Enlightenment, we have undervalued material reality, we've undervalued embodied nature, and we've overvalued the the intellect, the disembodied uh, parts of life. And so that really led us into, at our church, a sermon series called Anno Domini, where we talked about what it means to live under the Lordship of Christ and everything before the face of God, Quorum Deo, and everything. 
And we wanted to show that Christianity is not just a set of ideas, but it's history. It's real life. It's embodied nature uh, that we talk about because Jesus didn't come. The Son of God didn't come uh, just as an idea. He was fully man and fully God. And when Jesus rose into heaven, uh, ascended into heaven, he didn't just rise uh, in his spirit. He rose physically. He took the physical back into heaven with him so that now uh, flesh is in heaven. Uh, created matter is in heaven. And and I think that's a beautiful thing we're missing. And I wanted to talk about a few ways Gnosticism as a heresy plays out. So if we understand that Gnosticism is a heresy that really what matters and is crucial in life is ideas, this is pervasive in society. It's, it's all around us. And so I want to talk about three things um, kind of in order. First, I want to talk about the internet. The internet is a perfect Gnostic tool. Um, we live in a, a world where our technology reflects what we believe to be true about reality. And so we've created technology that worships the disembodied nature of people. And so we have the internet created as a tool that can be useful, but really what it, what it does is it dehumanizes uh, human interaction so that now we're reduced to kind of capturing your p- people either on a picture on the internet or a snippet of what they say on the internet so that you can't really get the full understanding, the context of who they are. And I'm sure you've had this experience, like I've had this experience where someone says something online, you know, like, I know that person, but what they just said sounds really, uh, it's kind of grating. It's like, uh, it's, it's either annoying or it frustrates me or I disagree strongly with it. And then we meet them in person. We're like, I love this person. This person's awesome. I, I want to hang out with them more. And that's kind of that, that, that take you get is that dehumanization that the internet creates, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, or other mediums, just reducing even knowledge itself, the pursuit of knowledge, to kind of this WebMD world, this Google world, where we can just kind of go on the internet and search for whatever we want, and that's ultimately what we need, rather than going to an embodied person, a trusted advisor, someone that we can rely upon, or even a book, a material book that we possess, we own, and we can read the words in print that, that were printed out, Instead, we get this digital interaction that's that's just very dehumanizing. And I think the internet is the perfect Gnostic tool. It dehumanizes uh, people. We can connect digitally, but we're never truly satisfied after we connect digitally. Um, it was never meant to be that way. Another topic that comes up into the realm of Gnosticism, and, and Carl Truman in his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, really paints this uh, picture in a more robust way. Historically, uh, he highlights Nietzsche and Freud and other people. But the, the concept of transgenderism, it makes complete sense under the heading of Gnosticism because what matters most about me is who I think I am, who I believe myself to be, not who I'm created, not my embodied nature. In fact, we're going to make the embodied nature reflect what I believe about myself. So now the embodied nature is subservient to the disembodied beliefs about ourself. And so that's a, that's a very uh, full picture of the fruit of Gnosticism, where people just become this disembodied thing where where we are what we think, what we believe about ourselves, where we are uh, whatever we conclude, and we make reality match what we think in our heads. And so then uh, we we change our bodies to be certain ways. We, uh, We do certain things in order to reflect that immaterial reality that we tend to believe. And so a lot of the sexual stuff in our world is a very Gnostic understanding that that what's most important about me, the only thing that the embodied nature can do is it can serve to make me feel better, to reflect my prior beliefs, um, 
and it's really not a Christian idea. Uh, the Christian idea is that with the material world, we should submit to the created order, uh, that we should submit to man and woman as God designed us. We should submit to these things, not out of a sense of um, inferiority, but out of a sense of being created in, in the image and likeness of God. And so that's, a, that's actually a privilege. Instead of the material world being something that we can just scrap or or uh, brutalize or desecrate. Instead, the material world actually has value, and our material bodies have value. And Christianity is frequently plagued by Gnosticism. This is something that Jim Jordan talks about in the podcast I listened to this morning. It, it's the idea with original sin that it had to do with Eve believing something else about God, and the something else was you can become like God, you will know good and evil. And it had to do with the knowing rather than being before the face of God and obeying God physically. So it started with the temptation to disbelieve what God said. So champion the idea. And then that flowed into kind of this outworking physically. And so Gnosticism, what he supposed, uh, suggests is that Gnosticism was the original sin, so to speak. Um, and really Christianity today is, is plagued by Gnosticism. And, I don't want to spend an hour talking about that, but we could if we met up, uh, because I think that it would get old after a while. But I want to highlight a few examples how Christianity is plagued by Gnosticism. One, we have spiritual spirituality detached from embodied nature. And so a lot of our spirituality, uh, think about when you go to church on Sunday, has little to do with your embodied nature. And it has everything to do with the subjective interpretation of the experience. And so we highlight the experience of the individual. We highlight the experience and the, the hearing. And, and instead of the embodied service of other people, the communion, um, the acts, the hearing of the word, all these kind of things that are more connected interpersonally. Um, for example, I know a lot of my Christian friends who when they think about kneeling in church service or doing embodied act in church services, they're like, I don't want any part of that. That seems Catholic. It's like, well, it's, it's not just Catholic. It's Christian. When we kneel, when we practice embodied worship, when we, whether it's raise our hands, kneel, something like that, leading out in that way with our bodies, it, it reflects a spirituality and the inability to, to lift our hands. Or even for a lot of men, they, they have a hard time singing in church. It reflects this version of spirituality that's almost disembodied, where we, we don't have to sing. We don't need to raise our hands. It's more about the realm of ideas instead of an actual physical presence with other people. This gets kind of to the next idea where I see Gnosticism play out in the church today, and that has to do with meeting in person. Uh, kind of COVID and the government lockdowns really messed up a lot of people's personal disciplines with being at church, getting to church. There's kind of a great shuffle going on amongst churches with people switching based on ethos now instead of doctrinal uh, fidelity and anything like that. People are choosing churches based on how they sound, how they look, how they posture to the watching world. And so there's a great shakeup uh, being had. But one of those things that's kind of implicit in that shakeup is a lot of people believe that meeting in person is just not necessary. It's, it's not necessary. Some people would even suggest that, that the church is merely a platform, that if you can just create an app that has some similar teaching that a church service would have, or you can download a podcast and listen to a sermon, if, if that inspires you, if that connects with you, if that challenges you, then that's sufficient for Christianity. And that's a horrible idea. That's, that's a terrible 
way to practice Christianity, to be faithful to God's word, and to live out who we were meant to be. Meeting in person is not just an optional thing as a Christian. It's essential to your formation. It, it, it reflects a spirituality of Gnosticism because you reduce Christianity to a set of ideas that's all about you. That's all about subjective experience based on what it can give you in your head. Instead of meeting with other people in person, it's just reduced to like a, a downloadable content that if it gives you what you want, then that must be good. And that's a real shame because you're missing out on like a huge part of the created order if you're not going to church, meeting with other people. And then that that kind of leads into, I know a lot of people in my context who are Christians who are not connected to local churches, um, you know, they think that having church by yourself is fine um, just because it isn't about connecting with other people. It's not about serving other people physically. It's not about anything like that. It, it's all about a disembodied experience. This is rampant in Christianity. I think it's one of the biggest challenges as a pastor, especially in more pietistic Christians who want to be holy, as all Christians want to be holy, but particularly in people who, like myself, kind of grew up in a, a church tradition that downplayed the importance of the material world, that denigrated um, physical activities, so that now we can be Christians and, and all it is is about the internal immaterial realities of life and not about the material. And so there can be a denigration, a downplaying of the importance of good food and good drink, of company with other people, of good music. And for a lot of Christians, this is reflective of their eschatology, that they think at the end of time, that in the end, everything is just going to get burned up, that the material world will not be in heaven, that there is no materiality in heaven. And that's just, that is uh, laughably untrue, especially considering Jesus' ascension was physical. It wasn't just immaterial. And when Jesus comes back, it will be physical. I think, honestly, a lot of the cries for justice in our world are because the church has failed to teach on this matter substantively. We've reduced Christianity to saving souls instead of a robust theology that talks about heaven coming to earth and what that actually means in terms of all things, whether it's justice or other issues. And so you're seeing a lot of fights uh, break out over the reality that we've so pushed Gnosticism through Christian radio and Christian institutions and, and churches where the material world doesn't matter, where if it, if it does matter, all it is is a hindrance to your spirituality. And if we could just get rid of it, we'd be more spiritual. Um, a good example of this is I used to think I was uh, a better Christian when I was single than when I was married and had kids. Why? Because I was able to actually read my Bible, have the ideas, do the quiet time in a more rigorous, disciplined way. And all of a sudden, when other people came into my life that I had a covenant relationship to, that became a spiritual obligation, which I was ill-equipped for. And it's those relationships can oftentimes seem like uh, barriers to true spirituality. And so people become not people to serve and to love and to be covenanted with in, in church community, but instead they become people to be used in order to satisfy my own ideas of what Christianity is. And if they get in my way, then I'm going to reduce Christianity to kind of these ideas. Uh, like I've, I've heard of some people leaving churches, for example, because the church is far enough away to where their neighbors won't drive. And so then they go, well, my neighbor won't come to my church. Therefore I'm going to leave this church so that I can reach them better. And so they've reduced Christianity to not only saving souls, but they've reduced the Missio Dei, 
the mission of God played out through the local embodied church, the church universal, but also church local. They've reduced the mission of God to them personally saving souls in their own life. And if the local church gets in the way of that, or if the local church says something that, that might offend their neighbor, all of a sudden we don't need that local church because it's blocking me from being able to reach this person. And, and that's really how Gnosticism plays out on the ground in the lives of people and the lives of Christians that I've met and ministered to. And that's why I believe it's such a dangerous heresy that's pervasive in Christianity. And so one of, what are some ways we can fight it? What are some ways we can push against it? Well, we can go to church. That's one. We can go to church and we can participate not just to get ideas, but to experience and to serve and to take communion and to be there to help other people, to pray for other people, to sing loudly with other people, to raise our hands, to kneel, to, to reflect what is true about Christianity, that our, our embodied nature, the material reality, matters greatly to God. It, it, God created everything. He created material the material world, and he said it was good. And so we should reflect that in the way we go to church. You can also do it by honoring those around you and, and covenant, those you're in covenant relationship with, so particularly your family, where you, uh, you love them, you serve them. Because the reality is in Christianity, doing the dishes and changing a diaper can be just as holy as preaching a sermon. It's just like God made us to do embodied things, not just obsessed with ideas and theological truths. And I know on this podcast particularly, I love to talk about theological truths. Um, And so I never want to communicate that that's somehow better than serving other people or loving other people uh, embodied. Theology is an embodied practice. And so our practices reflect what we believe. And so I think those are just a couple of ways. If if you're looking, hey, how can I live in a more faithful way as a Christian and not be Gnostic? It would be one, go to church. And two, do the normal rhythms of life with great spiritual intensity or intentionality. I should say not necessarily intensity. You don't want to be doing the dishes too intensely. You'll be freaking everybody out. You want to be doing it with intentionality so that it's not just, I got to get this out of the way so that I can go to my quiet time. Like I am doing the dishes as an act of worship to God, as Paul talks about in the new Testament. So that's just something I wanted to share with you guys today as I'm coming back from that ministry conference. One of the great things that happened there is I got to experience Vespers and, uh, a couple other Anglican uh, high church, high liturgy experiences where we were kneeling, we were chanting, we were reciting, we were doing a call and response reading. And and it was really fun. It was just so different than what I'm used to in terms of our non-denominational church, the well in Boulder. And it was just fun because it got me thinking about this stuff and how important embodied spirituality is. There's a lot in the Anglican tradition and, and high church traditions that, um, that there's almost a more embodied sense of what matters. Um, that's not true all across the board. And there's some ways in low church traditions uh, like Pentecostalism or Baptist where, where they do embodied stuff uh, better with, with uh, fellowship meals or casseroles or whatever it is. And so I just really enjoyed that. That was one of the ideas I came back with from Lightheart's talk and others talks there. And then talking with a friend after the fact, I wanted to give you kind of a quick update on kind of the direction of the podcast. Um, I still am going to be having interviews with people. I find those to be more stimulating. That's why I started the podcast was so that I could connect with others. It was a very selfish endeavor in one way because I just wanted to meet other people and get to talk with them. I didn't want to just uh, read books about them. I didn't want to just listen to another podcast. I wanted to have a, a conversation with people, even people I may disagree with on some stuff. That's totally fine. 
Um, I never really wanted to turn into a debate podcast. That's not really the purpose of this. It's more to stimulate you guys and in your thinking and whoever's listening and your thinking and and hopefully move you to action. And maybe I suggest a resource or two that you check out and introduce you to people that I find inspiring. I think a lot of us feel like we're in our own echo chambers. And so I like to uh, to expand those a little bit, kind of break the mold and not get so tribalistic. But I also am finding a lot of people I'm connected with over the last year that are really inspiring. So we're going to have more episodes that are interviews. We're also going to have, I'm going to try to be doing a weekly episode just like this one. Um, it's really funny. I, I don't enjoy just talking to a screen uh, with no interaction. It feels very odd. Although COVID and preaching to a camera over COVID really uh, broke me out of that uh, discomfort a little bit. It helped me grow in my ability to just talk to a screen, but I don't necessarily enjoy it. But I will say this, one of the I think either the first or second highly most downloaded episode on the podcast has been me just kind of sharing my thoughts. Now, the thoughts were related to uh, Trump and critical race theory. So that may reflect why that was a highly downloaded episode. But regardless, I want to try to do more weekly content. There's stuff I'm stewing on, cooking on every week, whether it's stuff I didn't get to put in my sermon or just stuff I'm reading that uh, that I'd love to share with you guys. And I think it'll be helpful for you so that the spot, the podcast isn't as sporadic. I was hoping to get more X29 guys on here, uh, but summer kind of caught up with some guys and we had some cancellations. And I think it's just going to be better if I, if you guys can have a more reliable podcast distribution from me. They're also going to be shorter episodes. I've had uh, several people give me feedback that, man, it's just too long for me to listen to. And I totally hear that. I'm, I'm the same way. I typically listen to podcasts or one and a half or two times speed. And so I'm going to try to condense my my words and my questions. Typically, I ask three to four questions to a guest, and I'm probably going to try to do two or three at tops. That way, I keep the episode shorter, and I want to keep these weekly episodes shorter just because it's easier for me uh, and easier for you to digest the content. Uh, another kind of adaptation is going to be I'm going to be having more guests with a broader background. Um, I've typically uh, tried to just focus on guests that are PhDs. Um, and I'm still going to focus on that because I think there's a lot of people in the academy that have PhDs that are valuable. But I will say this, over the last year, I've become really disillusioned with credentialism and PhDs uh, after people's names, as if that somehow makes them smarter than other people. Some of the smartest people I know have no college degree. And so I want to kind of broaden it to people who are just, I find inspiring and insightful and not just PhDs. One of the reasons that I want to do this is because I want to get John Frame on the podcast. He's I uh, talked about coming on the podcast and happy to do that. And he actually never got his PhD. He uh, he started it and never finished it. And so if I make this arbitrary rule that I only want PhDs, I can't even get to interview one of my theological heroes. So uh, we're going to break that rule and I'm going to broaden the con uh, conversation to more guests. Um, and we're, you can still expect me to be having a kind of an angle that's theologically and biblically based on topics that are old and showing how they connect to kind of current events. Uh, I don't want it to become a weekly kind of news thing, although I'll probably mention current events, but I'm not interested in doing something like Elmo or the briefing or something like that. I really want to stick in the realm that I feel is my sweet spot, which is theology and cultural engagement. And that's why I highly recommend Theopolis, um, the Institute itself and, and the ministry there with Peter Lightheart, um, because that's really what they're, they're about, uh, Bible liturgy culture. And I, I, I highly recommend you go check out their blog. Um, I'm still going to be streaming live. I hear, I see on here, we've got a, John Needham and Carrie April chiming in, which is great. I'm still going to be streaming live to Facebook as long as I can and releasing episodes every uh, Monday on Apple Podcast and Tuesday on YouTube. So you can be looking for that. Uh, until next time, we will talk to you then.